Well, turn if you would. Uh, we are in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts 28. So Acts 28. And I know that we've been out a little bit, and um, we actually, later on this uh, fall, once we get to August and moving on, we're going to go through a doctrinal series. And so we're going to have um, some a series about the doctrines for any of those who are theologians or wish you were theologians, understand. In theology, they've kind of taken some of the doctrines, and uh, if you think about it, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of God the Father, which you don't hear much about, but we'll go through some of those this fall. So we'll go through that series. But as we continue and finish up through the book of Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28. And so before we begin, let's uh, open in prayer. So Acts chapter 28. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you even in this narrative, the truth it gives to us and the lessons we learn. And Lord, we thank you that uh, the promises that you give, how we have seen through this book, you have a plan and purpose for the Apostle Paul. And here was one who was turned away from you, who willfully put people in prison, saw them murdered, but yet you captured their heart. You convicted him of sin and helped him understand that he needed a personal relationship with you. And then you brought him on a different path. You allowed him to go on missionary journeys. And then he would have to suffer. And he was told that he would have to suffer and go through difficult times. But Lord, you provided a way. And Lord, even when there was discouragement, you encouraged. And Father, sometimes as believers, we lose sight of the purpose that you have for our lives. And I ask that you would help us to remember that you have a plan and purpose for our lives. And that you don't leave us, you don't forsake us. And sometimes when we feel alone, Lord, that is times where you desire that we, we focus and depend upon you and who you are. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to continue to honor and serve you. Pray for the younger generation, those who haven't had as much encounter or don't know the rich history of believers who've had to face persecutions and difficulties. Lord, I pray that you would help them to be faithful, to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with you, but also be able to live it out, growing, vibrant. And I pray that uh, they might not be captivated by all that the world has to offer, but their priorities might be focused. And for those who are older, those who have lived, Lord, I pray that we start today understanding that we can begin anew to live for you and to glorify you and help us to be faithful in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So the message, the title of the message this morning is Just Keep Serving. Maybe you are a fan of the, um, of the film Nemo. You know, just keep swimming. But if you just have that, just keep serving. Because sometimes we need that to remind her. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 16. And Acts chapter, 8, Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 16. All right. And so as we look at it, first of all, I know it's, we've been away from the book of Acts for um, a few weeks. So to give you some background, if you go back to Acts chapter 27 and understand what took place. Uh, Paul and his companions are um, headed to Rome on a ship with 276 people. And the centurion um, does not listen to Paul's advice. He said, we should have harbored here. But he said, you know what? I think we're going to make it, try to make it to this other harbor and to attempt to winter in a different location. And then the strong wind causes them, um, the Euryclon, as he called it, and it causes them to drift off course and they face a storm and they're, um, it's dark, it's raining, and uh, they're not sure what to do. And um, Paul encourages them and says, take some of this food and praise. And then guess what? They're going to be shipwrecked. And some try to leave the ship, but he says, guess what? Unless you stay with the ship, you're going to, um, you won't face that promise. You won't receive the benefits of that promise. And uh, then they run aground and... The soldiers, they want to kill Paul and the prisoners, but uh, they aren't allowed to. And uh, so they all make it, some on boards, but uh, they make it to the, the island. And in chapter 28, it begins and it says, uh, let me just read 
chapter 27, and uh, starting in verse 42, where it says, And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. God fulfilled his promise that he'd given to Paul that says, guess what? No one will be harmed if you heed my commands. And then in verse 1 of chapter 28, it says, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. And one of the things we see here is Luke starts off and says, we. Because we often forget that Luke is part of this process and journey. And he provides an eyewitness of the account. Even Luke, who goes through and he doesn't complain, he just simply records what the Holy Spirit gave to him and as he is to share. But we learn that they become shipwrecked on the island of Malta, which is south of the island of Sicily. So if you know your geography and think of the boot of Italy, and then what's the boot kicking this island, Sicily, and be below there we have the island of Malta, south of the island. And the island itself is about 122 square miles. And the people there of are of the Phoenician descent. If you think about the Phoenicians, those were the ones historically who were in the ships and boats and they traveled. But in this in this passage, verses one through sixteen, we are going to learn three lessons about our service for God. Our service for God. So first of all, we're going to see, if you look at verse one through three as I read, don't let your circumstances affect your service for God. Don't let your circumstances affect your service for God. Because remember, here Paul is. He's been on the ship. They don't listen to him. He's on the ship. He's been shipwrecked, you know, facing these terrible circumstances. And then as a blessing, God says, oh, I'm going to have you shipwrecked on an island. And you think, oh, yeah, he should be happy, right? His life has been saved. But remember the circumstances that he's in. First of all, they're unfamiliar circumstances. While they're unfamiliar for everyone, but here he's shipwrecked. He's in a foreign environment, and Paul understands that he's still a He's still a testimony for Christ. See, he's in an unfamiliar territory with unfamiliar people. Oftentimes, you know, if we think about shipwrecks, we have that picture of, you know, Robinson Crusoe or, you know, you're on an island. and Oh, no, they're all cannibals and they're going to eat me, right? And that's what happens. Well, that's not necessarily the case, but they're, they're friendly. And the people of, in the island of Malta, you know, what happens is they had... See, and they come, they probably came out, and they started a fire. And this was important because, as we see here, what takes place is that there's a fire, and it's cold. So Paul goes off, and he's collecting firewood. We don't know if he was told to because he was a prisoner, but I assume that probably Paul was one who just goes out, and, you know, they would have had individuals who were capable. Some may have been injured. We don't know. But they went and collected firewood to continue to keep this fire going. And it represents Paul's humble position both as a prisoner but also his willingness to serve because when we're in unfamiliar circumstances oftentimes we're just looking around and wondering what to do sometimes it's like there's people well i don't i don't want to do anything because i don't know what to do i know if you've noticed there's certain people sometimes and i'm i'm kind of an observer different circumstances situations cultures and uh, since this is Italian, you know, in, in near Italian area, if you've ever been in an Italian house, Italian women, they cook, they're in control, they're usually sometimes smaller, but, you know, they kind of, are, they rule the kitchen. Trust me, get out of the way. Sometimes they get, get out of the way, and you're like, oh, no, I'm not going in there, because you know what? It's, you're going to be, you know, shoot out of there. But sometimes in cultures in different kitchens, you know, you can watch. Who's in control? Who's in charge? How do you help out? There's some who come in and say, tell me what to do, I'll help out. There's some who don't necessarily delegate, they just are doing everything. And so you just have to kind of go in, look for something to do, and do it. And here we have a situation where Paul's in this unfamiliar circumstances, but he knows, gather firewood, and so he just continues on and go do it. And sometimes believers, as we see the parallel, unfamiliar circumstances, they choose, well, I don't know what to do, but 
even as a testimony for Christ, there are things that you can do. You might think, well, physically I can't go get firewood, but you know what? You can talk to people. You can encourage others in an unfamiliar environment. What are some things that you can do? You can help out. And also we see their uncomfortable circumstances because the prisoners and occupants from the ship had to swim to shore, so they're wet. And it's cold. You know, the people sort of fire, but you have to understand, this is about November, and even though they were in the Mediterranean, the water temperature would have been lower. Here in Arizona, we understand what it means cold. You know, you think about it, oh, the water's, if the water's not 80, I'm not going in. You tell that anyone who's not from Arizona, who's made from the Midwest, you know, they'd be like, what? You are so spoiled. If the water temperature's not 80, you're not going in? I mean, I can't believe that. But you know, you can get in water temperature that's 80, and the air is like still maybe 90 to 100, and you can feel cold because of the air temperature and the lack of humidity. And you're thinking, oh, that is terrible. But here, under, we, you understand, though, if once you get wet, and then you feel the breeze and the temperature. But here, it would have been winter. Um, it may have been probably November, and the temperature would have been in the maybe 50s and raining. Arizona, we don't understand rain. What's that, right? But if you have lived, most of you have lived in other places, you understand what it means to have that drizzle or the downpour, to be wet and soaked through, and it's just uncomfortable. And so here, you know, they're standing around the fire. They're, they're cold, and they may have felt miserable. We don't know, but we understand that it was rainy and wet. And, and Luke, I, I appreciate Luke because he describes the situation. Doesn't complain, doesn't add, you know, that, oh, you know what, it's the weather. And doesn't complain about the weather, but he just simply says it. And as we see here, it says in verse 2, For they kindled the fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. He says it's cold. Guess what? It's cold. It's freezing. Even in Arizona, when it's winter, we understand that, you know, 55, it gets a little colder than 55 where there's humidity. But it's uncomfortable circumstances. And it should not matter how we feel or if we are uncomfortable, but understand that our will to serve Christ in difficult and unpleasant circumstances. See, what often happens is Christians, we get in circumstances, oh, they're unfamiliar, I feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do things. And we have to learn to overcome them, to understand that you know, God has given you gifts and abilities to be able to serve him. Sometimes there's simple things that you can do. We had a missions team here, and, you know, I watched them, and some of them, oh, we need to move chairs? They'll move chairs. It doesn't matter our backgrounds or where we've come from, but willingness to help out in different ways, no matter your age, no matter your sex, no matter your background. You know, there are things that you can do to serve Christ, and he calls upon you. You know, simply being friendly and smiling, it starts there. In today's society, you know, we've, some have had to wear masks. Some have had to, you know, be isolated from people. And there's a lack of, of friendliness. I don't know if you notice certain hostilities in life. They're more fearful than friendly. And it's important that as a believer in Christ, you have the opportunity to at least be friendly. And, you know, we get frustrated because people don't respond the way they should or what we think they should. But we have to learn patience. We have to learn um, how to represent and in the uncomfortable or unfamiliar circumstances, be willing to suffer, if you will, even for Christ, to understand that we can, we can, if you will, take the higher path, but also unknown circumstances. Now, I know Mauchi, but how many of you like surprises? Okay, all the kids like surprises. All you adults are like, no, I don't like surprises at all. Boy, you know what? We grow up and we just get, you know, we lose all sight of, of what is fun, right? Surprises, because most of us think, I don't like surprises. That means maybe, uh, you know, the IRS is going to come, you know. We don't like surprises because they're always negative. Well, surprises are beneficial in some ways, but they help keep us uh, lighthearted. They help keep us in an um, atmosphere or a mood of, you know what, unexpectedness. And really surprises, as we think about it, you know, there are good surprises. Most of us are oh, it's only half glass, I'm reality strikes, you know, surprises are all bad. You know, it's probably company, and they're going to stay for three days, and you know what happens after three days, both fish and guests start to stink, right? But you know what, as we look at it, unknown circumstances, 
uncertain. You know, we still need not to lose sight of, oh, you know what, the unknown. And here in the circumstances, as we see here in verse 2 and 3, it says, because of the cold, then in verse 3, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out and because of the heat and fastened on his hand. You know, and you're like, see, I told you the surprise came and he got bitten on the hand by a snake. You know, it was, it was a bad thing. Well, you know, we don't read anything about the pain it caused or, you know, he could have jumped up and down. If most of us saw a snake, we'd be jumping up and down and running away, let alone having it fastened to our hand because most of us don't like snakes. You know, some of you want to go out and hunt snakes. You know, I have a friend who goes out in four-wheelers and likes to shoot them. And if you're from Texas, you know, capture the rattles in different areas. But these unknown circumstances, and unknown because while there are, there are no poisonous snakes in Malta presently, some people say, well, it couldn't have been true. But it doesn't mean that at the time of Paul that there were poisonous snakes and vipers and, and fastened to them. And obviously the, the people there at the island understood and knew that and waiting for him to die. They knew about the poisonous snakes. Maybe it's like Ireland where, you know, they got rid of all the snakes. You know, what happens is sometimes you wish, oh, I wish we could get rid of all the, the scorpions and all the snakes and everything, right? But they still serve a purpose. You know, sometimes we wonder, why didn't, why didn't uh, Noah just swat those two mosquitoes, right? But God knows. And understanding here. And so the landscape has probably changed in Malta. And Paul would have, and um, Luke would have been an expert in snakes as he is observing this because he was a medical professional. And so they had to know about snake bites and snakes and, and would have known about that. And, so he's, and the Greek word is translated viper. And as Paul gathers wood, a snake comes out from the firewood and literally latches onto his hand. And so he shakes it off. And some of you, I know you, if it was on your hand, you probably would have passed out. But it is not pleasant to be doing a task that is seemingly beneficial to others. But when something bad happens, here a poisonous snake strikes. You know, latches on, and this could have led to uncertainty. Paul could have said, oh, great, now what's going to happen? You know, am I going to die? What's going to happen? And Luke, even, and we have Aristarchus, different ones. They would have said, oh, no, he's bitten by a snake. What happens? We don't have any other details, but it's simply the text states and says, so when the natives saw that the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. You know, they already have preconceptions, but... What happens is Paul. It happens to him. And how often, as we relate to understand in our Christian lives, sometimes you're serving someone else. Sometimes you're doing something that is seemingly good and a bad thing happens, or as we perceive, a bad thing happens. Maybe you're delivering a meal to someone and you get a flat tire, and you're like, oh, man, or you're in traffic, or, or, or a fender bender. And you wonder, why, Lord? I'm trying to do something good, and why would you allow this to happen? And I would encourage you, just keep serving. You might not understand why this takes place. I mean, here, Paul is working, doing things. He's on island. You know, God has said, you know, I'm going to preserve you. And then a snake bites him. Well, we, obviously we see it, it wasn't for his benefit. But as Luke records it, Luke records the response to those around them. And sometimes what appear to be bad things that occur to you aren't simply to help you grow stronger. You know, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Well, that's true. Sometimes things that, you know, um, don't kill you sometimes make you weaker, and they do kill you. But the, danger, but the danger is that the concept is that, okay, you know, these bad things happen, and we can just have a bad attitude about it. But to understand that sometimes when difficult things come into our lives, it is for the benefit of others around us. As we even look at Job and what he went through and those other friends and the lessons that would have been learned. But to understand, even in himself, there are those who go through difficulties and trials. And Paul was spiritually mature enough, and he simply just continues on. Because he had that goal in mind. And I think about, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't allow distractions. He doesn't allow obstacles. And it's hard, because oftentimes when something bad happens in our lives, we deviate. You know, we go running and screaming the other direction. But here, Paul simply shakes it off. And that's not easy to do because, you know what, if a viper bit me, I'd be looking at it and wondering and staring. And sometimes, you know, we just 
continue to, to focus upon that. And it consumes us. And we wonder, oh, what's going to happen? You know, and it bothers you. And it continues on. And we become distracted from the ministry or the work that God has for us. You know, this could have led to uncertainty. But we observe that the people from the island formed their own opinions of the situations. But don't let circumstances affect your service for God. Just keep serving. The second thing we look at is don't let misperceptions affect your service. Don't let misperceptions affect your service. And I forgot to read just one thing because um, just to go back to circumstances. What happens is, is in circumstances, um, for example, have you ever been in a circumstance that makes you feel uncomfortable or uncertain or unfamiliar? Well, for example, here's some circumstances that, uh, you know, receiving a gift. Have you ever gotten a gift of something that you don't want or like? Well, here's some responses. Ten top responses you can just give. You can say, first of all, hey, there's a gift. Or might you say, well, well, well. Or, boy, if I had not recently shot up four sizes, this would have fit. Or, you know, this would be perfect for wearing around the basement. Boy, I hope this never catches fire. It is fire season, though, and there are a lot of unexplained fires. Or, you know what, if the dog buries it, I'll be furious. Or maybe you get a gift and you say, I love it, but I fear the jealousy it will inspire. Or, this gift, sadly, tomorrow I enter the Federal Witness Protection Program, so I can't use it. Or the gift, to think I got this year, to think this year I vowed to give all my gifts to charity. And then finally you say, I really don't deserve this. So those are some things you can say when you get a gift, those circumstances. But anyway, um, I failed to make that transition. But anyway, to come into perception of what happens here and to understand to keep serving when people have misperceptions and affects your service for God. Here we see here in verse 4 where it states and says, they saw the creature and said, no doubt this man is a murderer whom whom though has escaped from the sea, yet justice is not allowed to live. But he shook the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, I don't know if this occurred over a series of hours, probably days. We don't know weeks, because they were on this island for three months. So this occurred for a little while or time-wise, but they saw it probably would have expected something to happen. I mean, some type of response. But understand, as it relates to believers, we must remember not to allow misperceptions to affect your service. And first of all, they had a distorted perception. They believed, maybe because of tradition, that he was, uh, there were stories told in the Greek about how a sailor who had run away or you know, had murdered someone and then came and then died on an island from a snake. But they believed he was a murderer, an evildoer, and justice was being served through natural consequences. They may have even believed that the shipwreck was his cause. And even presently, as we think about in society, superstitious beliefs affect people. Think about baseball players who are um, in a loss or, or they're winning. Or maybe it's they've completed sports players who've done something. They don't change their socks or, or go through a routine. Uh, there are those who, um, who, who believe in horoscopes or strategies, strategies of winning games or, or outcomes, maybe at work. You know, I've been doing the same thing, so I don't want to mess up my routine. And people have a fatalistic view of justice because, you know what, oh, guess what? You're going to get what you deserve. Or they use the term karma. Instant karma. Oh, man, look at that. You can watch it. They have videos even on YouTube and other places of what that. You get what you deserve. And so they understand that. But yet it's interesting because they believe, they look at God and, and they say, okay, God's character is only loving. And people, and God will not send people to hell. You know, Christians believe if they behave a certain way, if they serve God, don't contaminate themselves by being around the ungodly, that they will receive more blessings. Their children will turn out perfect and will not have trials and tribulations. And that's contrary to what the Bible says. Hold your spot and go to 2 Timothy 3. 
2 Timothy 3. This is the author Paul again, and as he writes to Timothy at Ephesus. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. And he's speaking to believers. And he says, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Understanding here that the Lord rescued Paul from them. What it means that he didn't prevent them from occurring, but he helped them in those situations. And people have a distorted view of what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes they think, well, you know what? If you serve and honor and obey God, nothing will go wrong in your life. You'll have all the blessings. You won't have any needs. And they think the more spiritual you are, the more spiritual you are, well then, guess what? You don't ha you'll have less problems. And the problem with these perceptions is they're often accepted as truth. And here they, they, they believed, okay, because of tradition, you know, he was bit by a snake and naturally something would happen. And maybe because of that, he's a prisoner. Justice is being meted out. And we believe that. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, that person deserved it probably. They deserved, they got what they deserved. But biblically, we must understand because of sin, if we all got what we deserved, it would be punishment and hell. And because of God giving us less than we deserve, which is God's mercy, he gives us less than we deserve. We deserve to go to hell and punishment, but he doesn't give us that. In fact, because of God's grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, he gives us eternal life. For those who call upon his name, who ask forgiveness of their sins. And so that distorted perceptions. And people read the Bible, but yet they don't understand it. And so it's important for us to read in context and not simply just to take verses. But not only distorted perceptions should we continue to serve, also elevated perceptions. Because all of a sudden, those from the island of Malta, they say, well, if he isn't a criminal... And guess what? Nothing happened, so he must be deity. He must have supernatural strength and powers. And so they, um, their previous ideas had changed, and they swing the pendulum of thought to the opposite direction and elevate Paul to the position of a deity. And the danger of this is sometimes they look at Christians in the present life, and they say, oh, you don't do this. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't do all of these bad things that they perceive as being bad. You know, worldly, oh, you must be a super Christian. You're such a good person. You don't swear, oh, you're such a good person. And that's what they say. They look at it from a moral response because they don't know. But really, it's under the power of the Holy Spirit. There are none good. Only God is good. And really, to be able to have a transformed life, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to be careful because sometimes they lift you up. Oh, you're a Christian. I could never do that. Oh, you gave that change back man, I would never do that. Oh, you gave up that parking spot at Christmas time? I would never do that. Now, granted, some of you might say, I'm going to take the parking spot. But here in Arizona, it's all about the shade, right? Who cares about parking close? Look for the shade. But the danger of the per elevated perception from others is that the adulations and accolades can lead to personal pride and for people to have a, view, a higher view of themselves than they ought. People start saying, oh, you're such a good Christian. You're such a great person. And you think, yeah, you know, I am. Or, or you've done this. But we need to remember that that is not right. You know, learn to deflect. And I tell people, even in church, sometimes people, you know, respond in different ways. Catharsis is the, is the response of a, oftentimes used in literary, where, you know, the, after reading it, and it comes to what's called the denouement, where you find out, oh, all of the details, the who the murderer was, the butler did it, you know, and all that. And then you find out um, what occurred. There, there's an emotional response that you feel, and that's called the catharsis. It occurs sometimes when um, you listen to music. A piece of music can move you, or an art artist, or you're looking at the Grand Canyon. I took some people from Iowa to the Grand Canyon, and I always appreciate it because even though I've been there before, that first step, you look at the Grand Canyon, and you think, wow, 
It's not just a big hole in the ground. It's a awe, it's majestic. It's a reminder of who God is. And so that elevated position, you know, you need to humble. And so sometimes whether you're serving God or in ministry or maybe you're singing a song and some people respond, some people clap, whatever, you need to deflect that and understand, you know, it is because of God's glory. It is because of God that you have that ability. And the common thought in society is that for people to think more highly of themselves. You know what? I worked hard. I earned this. But yet, you know what? Earlier in Acts 14 at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas were mistaken for gods. You know, oh, Hermes, Zeus. But nothing is said in the text of any desire to worship and sacrifice them here. So we understand it must have been a general elevated position of awe and respect from the nationals. They didn't try to worship Paul here, but they just think, oh, he must have had supernatural powers position-wise. So, but they had an elevated perception. And guess what? It doesn't matter what other people think of you. Just keep serving. And then a misguided perception. Here in verse 7 through 10, as we see, it says, And then in the region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. It says in another text where, um, it says, after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured, so they heaped many honors on us and what they needed, and they gave them resources. And probably that word also may have meant finances as well. But understand Paul's position. Paul was a prisoner of the Romans, and he's on the ship. But what's he doing in the house of Publius? On all accounts, he should have been under lock and key and given no benefits, no special treatment. Yet God granted him favor with the guards and with others who were shipwrecked on the island. In fact, he was given favor by the people on the islands. And he was granted to permission to enter into the house of the chief man of the island. He used that term chief man of the island, which literally means first man of the island. That doesn't mean he was the first one who settled it. It just simply is a position probably of like governor or one who was in charge of the, uh, the Roman um, delegation there his official designation and luke states that publius welcomed and entertained and he uses the term us hospitably for three days luke may have been called in even as a medical professional to check on um, and diagnose his father as having a fever and dysentery for those of you don't know what dysentery is dysentery is a, a type of gastroenteritis and it causes bloody diarrhea fever, abdominal pain, and can lead to dehydration. You wouldn't want it. But it's often caused by poor sanitary conditions. Some believe it may have been caused by the goats um, drinking the milk, you know, and mixed with feces, and it's just not good. But anyway, um, Paul is a prisoner, yet is able to come in to pray and lay hands on him, and probably just simply a physical contact that occurs and healed him. And the reason I say physical contact, because some people say, oh, the laying out of hands, but it's a physical contact, because even in Acts, we see that they wanted to touch the napkins that Paul had touched. But the Holy Spirit does his work, and through, through Paul, and there's a special healing that occurs through the Holy Spirit, but yet Paul is a prisoner. And remember the, the perception of the guards. Imagine if you were a, a Roman guard who had been on this, and you see Paul go through this, but he's a prisoner. Maybe you're the position of a prisoner and saying, why does Paul get all the special treatment? And so there are a lot of misguided perceptions that others probably would have had of Paul. But yet even as um, Paul is entered in and Publius and saying, oh, who is this? Maybe Luke brought him in and said, you know, he's a prisoner on his way to Rome. Well, why would you allow a prisoner into an official's house? And he's going to heal Publius' father? Most wouldn't necessarily allow that. But in the misguided position, Paul doesn't seek to be someone higher than himself. He doesn't come in and claim, I am an apostle of Christ, you know, so I have special powers. We only read that he just came in and God grants him, he prays. He remembers where the strength lies. 
in God. And then he prays over him and touches him, and God does a miraculous work through him. See, sometimes in misguided perceptions, it's a good and bad thing. Sometimes people think better of us. Sometimes people think less of us. But no matter what, it shouldn't matter. I urge you to simply serve the Lord. And sometimes we're ashamed of our background. Sometimes we're ashamed of what has occurred. We're all sinners saved by grace. And it's important for us that we understand that God, the Holy Spirit, uses Paul to heal the Father. And then others who come with the diseases. But no matter how inferior your position or seemingly unimportant your job, there is no favoritism for those who obey God and are willing to serve God in whatever capacity he chooses for them. So no matter how superior your position might be, doesn't mean that you can do something humble. No matter how inferior your position, doesn't mean that God might do something very important through you. And as you think about those individuals, even I always think of Barnabas, the encourager. Barnabas, who was the one who took Paul and led him to the other apostles. Barnabas, who was willing to separate from Paul, but then helps John Mark, who writes the book of Mark, and probably helped Peter. And he was one who helped Paul and understand and move on. But no matter the misguided perceptions that we have, we must not let those, um, not let it prevent us from serving. And so misperceptions of others affect our service. So serve honorably and serve Christ. The last thing we look at in verses 14 through 16, as we understand as they go on the journey, and just in this interlude here, what happens is they get off the island. They're finally, it becomes in February. And so they're able to move on. And so then they go on and they travel a little bit. It says, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship, which was probably from Egypt, whose figurehead was the twin brothers. And then they go on to Syracuse to stay three days. And then they go and reach Regium. And then they wait for these winds because in that landscape, I should have had a map up there. They would have been waiting for that to be able to go. And then it says in one day, the wind blew. And then they were went to uh, Putioli. I'm going to say it with an Italian accent. But Putioli and where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we, then we went to Rome. And then they begin the Appian Way because they go in inland. But they would have been there. Maybe they had to stay at certain spots because of the centurion had business. He had to report once he got to the, the country of Italy, report in. But what we learn in verses 14 through 16 is that we shouldn't let independence affect our service. Independence affect our service. And... Uh, independence because sometimes we're taught to only depend upon ourselves. I don't know about you, but I know that in generationally, it's like, okay, guess what? Your parents teach you, you, you get to 16, 18, and then you're off on your own, you got to survive. Nowadays, it's a different world because sometimes you wonder how will they make it, the young people. Uh, it reminds me of there's a, um, there was a police officer who was taking a routine vandalism report in an elementary school and was interrupted by a little girl of six years old. She looks up and down at his uniform, and she asks, Are you a, a cop, a police officer? And he says, Yes, I am. And he continued writing the report. And then she says, My mother said if I ever needed help, I should ask the police. Is that right? And the police officer says, Yes, that's right. And so then the police officer says, or excuse me, then the little girl says to him, Well then, and she extended her foot toward the police officer, Will you tie my shoe? You know, we understand that independence and dependence. But you know, when you need help, she was willing to ask for help. doesn't matter who it is. But when it comes to independence, we must understand that it, we don't just rely upon ourselves. We didn't arrive at the point where we're at spiritually just because of our own efforts. And the first thing we see here is that God uses close Christian friends to give assistance and accountability. Paul went through these difficulties and trials, and sometimes we think he was a great individual, he was a mature believer. And I believe that God permitted Paul to go through because of his spiritual maturity, but he didn't simply have to go through just on his own. Here we have Luke, who was also a mature believer, and we have Aristarchus early on. 
Our closest friends, including a husband or wife, should be a Christian who has a growing relationship with Christ. And if you're not growing in your relationship with Jesus, you're not ready to be a good friend. You know, Luke and Aristarchus have been with him throughout this journey. Even during the missionary journeys, Paul understood the importance of having other strong believers help him. You know, and they stuck with him. You have Barnabas, you have Silas, you have those who are with him. And they stuck with him even when circumstances were hard with the threat of life and death. And so Paul understands that it isn't, the Christian life isn't just something you go through on your own. Sometimes we feel like we're alone, but God brings other believers into our life to help us. Sometimes to challenge us, to remind us that guess what? Hey, you do need help. Hey, watch out for that sin. Hey, allow me to pray for you. Because sometimes we think, well, I'm a mature believer. I can do it on my own. So we, we seek to do things on our own. But yet then God humbles us. God reminds us that, guess what? You don't have to do it on your own. We, fight, we try to fight the, fight the battle and do things on our own. But guess what? The battle belongs to the Lord. And through his help, we can overcome. The second thing we see here is that God uses unchurched people to provide resources for service. The labor is worthy of his reward applies to all people. In the text, we see that Paul is sent on his journey. He heals, he does things, and he received monetary benefit from some of the people on the island. And it's interesting because Luke doesn't record that anyone came to Christ because of Paul. But he says that these unbelievers, these people, they gave resources. They, Paul was simply healing them, and Luke may have helped as well, but guess what? They were receiving resources, and because of the resources they gave, they were able to be able to go on. Maybe it helped the centurion, the soldiers, we don't know. But to understand, sometimes as believers we think, well, I'm not going to receive any help from anyone who's not a Christian. But God uses unchurched people to provide resources for service. And even throughout, um, we understand that the labor is worthy of his reward applies to other people. There are each of you have, a job, have had a job or worked sometime and earned income. Guess what? That is part of how God provides to meet your needs. There's nothing wrong with that. And also the people from the island, while they provided tangible resources and monetary benefits for Paul and his companions to continue on their journey to Rome. See, believers must understand that it is fair to receive payment from Christians and unbelievers for services rendered. Sometimes we, we say, oh, you know what, I want to just go to a, a Christian mechanic, a Christian this, Christian that. But guess what? There are some who are, are more moral, if you will, and trustworthy who, aren't, who don't call themselves Christians. But it might be the opportunity that you have to talk to them about Christ. But here, it is not right to place the love of money or financial gain as your main priority. We know from Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. But money is not the root of all evil, and sometimes we get that confused because we think, oh, you're a Christian, you shouldn't have money. Well, guess what? Not all Christians are poor. Did you know in the Bible there were rich believers? And rich believers provided for some of the scriptures to be written. They even undertook finances for Jesus and his disciples. They helped Paul and some of the apostles along their way. There's nothing wrong. They provided meeting places. If you think about Philemon, where there was a church meeting there, and Onesimus, who, who was, had run away. There were many who were well off, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we have that perception that, oh, you know, you still have money. But it's what they do with your money. If your priority is just making money, then you've lost sight of what is important. But you have that opportunity to, it's not wrong to have nice things if you're economically able to afford it. There's some people who say, oh, I just want all the labels. I want anything that is nice and good just because. But there were many rich individuals who shared their resources and helped to spread the gospel. The key was that money was not their only priority. The challenge is the more money you have, the more responsibility you have. The more people you're going to have asking you for money. I mean, think about many of you now, people who are going to be asking you for money. And they don't even know if you have any money. Oftentimes in society, you know, they're always, everyone is always going to be asking you for money. 
And some of you young people, if you live long enough and have children, guess what? They're going to be asking you for money. Remember, as I've said before, you know, it's the, the child who goes to his, mo his mom and says, can I have some money? And what are they going to say? What do I look like, a bank? But if that child goes to the bank, you know, and says, hey, can I have some money? That bank teller is going to tell them, what do I look like, your mother? But we must understand it is important that we use those resources. And I would say for believers to understand that the perception that we have even going through, independence, it's not about being independent. It's allowing other people to come into your life. Sometimes God brings those who we least expect to come into our life and help us, those perceptions. Because oftentimes we don't, we only view ways historically how it's been done in the past. And I would encourage you not to just simply rely on tradition, but understand that God works ways in ways which are not the ways that we think. One of the, my favorite passages as I was even thinking about ministry is from 1 Corinthians 1. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, sometimes we think, well, God isn't going to use that way or, or his strength. You know, we, we perceive strength. Um, that's what we need, but yet God uses weakness. His weakness is stronger than anyone could be, humanly speaking. So that perception. Let me just give you an illustration of misperception as well. There are these three guys interviewing to be a detective. The final step is with the chief inspector who says, Ah, so you want to be detectives, huh? The first skill you need is perception. Let's see how you guys do with that. He calls them into his office one by one. The first guy goes in and is shown a picture of a recently captured criminal. Tattooed face, large scar, he's quite recognizable. The inspector says, take a close look. I want you to memorize and remember all the features that will help you identify this man in a crowd. After a minute, the man is done. The inspector turns the picture over and says, well, go on, describe him to me. The man responds, well, it wouldn't be hard to find this guy given that he only has one ear. The inspector stares blankly, turns the picture over and says, what sort of moron are you? This is a side profile of the man. Don't tell me you thought, oh, just get out of here and stop wasting my time. The second guy is called in and is given the same challenge. After his minute, he says, well, I couldn't really focus on much other than the fact that he only has one eye. Visibly frustrated, the inspector bellows, what is wrong with you people? Do you not know what a side profile is? Get out of here. Let's bring the last guy in. The last guy comes in and is given the same challenge. The inspector adds, you know what? Take five minutes and think carefully before you answer. Five minutes goes by, the young man turns the picture over himself and says, you know, I'll bet he wears contact lenses. The inspector scrunches his eyebrows and squints at the young man in silence for a few moments. Not wanting to potentially get embarrassed, he excuses himself to go check the man's criminal profile. He checks the records, looks through the computer database, and sure enough, two minutes later, he comes back in, a few minutes later, comes back in, and a pleased but puzzled look on his face, he says, well, yes, he does wear contact lenses. How could you tell? Visibly delighted with himself, the young man beams back with a smile. Oh, it took a while to think of it, but there's no way he could wear regular, regular glasses with only one eye and one ear. As we think about perceptions and misperceptions, you know, sometimes people think differently than we do. But when it comes to our own lives, understand that we think differently than God thinks. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts greater than our thoughts. And so when we expect him to move in a certain way and he doesn't, we get frustrated. And we try to solve it on our own. We try to fix it. God, you haven't answered my prayer, so I'll just go do it. Or I'll try to work on it. God, you're taking too much time. Or we try to do solve the problem, and then we think, I can't do it. Well, I guess I better pray. Turn to God first. Don't let independence prevent you. We need to understand that dependence and obedience is an important part and that God uses unchurched people to provide resources. He uses friends and family and close ones to provide assistance or accountability. Don't reject it. But also God uses other believers to encourage us along the way. And that is an important part because as we see in the verse, in closing it says, if you look at the text in chapter 28, and it says in verse 16, excuse me, verse 14, where it says, When we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as 
Epiphorum, and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. You know, if you think about believers in Christ, a friend that you haven't seen, just understanding that the same mindset, and that's why believers, as we come into fellowship, you know what? We all look different. We sometimes have different personalities. We dress differently. Those are all good things. But as, as even as we have difference of opinions, we have the common spirit of bond in Christ. And we could go to any country, even not even speaking the language, and there can be a kindred spirit because we are in Christ. And while we could be in a service and listen to the music, it might be different from what we're used to. We can pray and hear a, a different language spoken. We still serve the same God, and it's important as believers in Christ, and there's where you make the difference, is those who have a personal relationship with Christ. Other believers encourage us along the way. And God uses believers from all different walks of life to encourage us. Here, Paul thanked God and took courage. Only a kindred spirit of believers who have the same Holy Spirit can refresh another Christian and help him to be truly encouraged. And that is because our perspective is not just temporary. It is eternal. True believers understand that our ministry and service for Jesus is not just a show, a way to look good before others, or even to gain temporary benefits. There are some believers who don't really care about others. They just want to move ahead. They just want to look good before others. But we serve Jesus because we understand that our lives on earth are temporary and our lives are a lesson being lived of how to serve and honor God with our lives. Romans 12.11, let's close with this. And where'd the time go? I apologize. Romans 12.11. We're going to finish with this. And it'll be on the screen. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, New King James. And then Holman Christian, just because in English, in the Greek translate, do not lack diligence. I want you to understand. Be diligent. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I want you to understand what that says. Don't lack. Don't be lagging. That's a good word as well. But don't, you know, understand, be diligent. We don't understand what it means to be diligent. You know, to stick with it. We call it that stick-to-itiveness. Continue on. Even when things are hard, even when there's opposition, keep serving the Lord fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get tired. You know, the older we get, you know, the tireder we feel. You know, you sit in a rocking chair, you can't get it going. You, you know, you look forward to a dull evening. Your knees buckle, your belt won't. But it doesn't matter how old you are. The key is to continue to serve the Lord with all your energy and strength and continue on and press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray?